Well, okay, it's great to see everyone today. If you brought your Bibles with you, we are going to be taking a peek in Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to be talking about, of all things, out of Revelation, marriage. Now, we're not just talking to married couples in here. We're talking to single people, people who've been married forever, people who are planning on getting married, and people who were married at one time. The reason why is we're also talking about relationships, rediscovering love in the people that we have around us, especially our spouses. One of the reasons why I'm talking about this is I've been watching some very dear friends of mine go through some very, very hard struggles in their marriage, and it's made me look at my own marriage and start asking some serious questions and even evaluating the status quo of my marriage. Also, my relationship with Jesus Christ, it's been making me wonder about that. But Sarah and I, if you know us at all, we, um, we courted for three years. We tried to not have a dating relationship, but we really tried to respect each other and get to know each other before we got really serious. And right before we knew I was going to be asking her uh, to marry me, we knew the time was close, we'd courted. Sarah had never kissed a boy. And it was three years, and I couldn't take it anymore. And so one day, we're driving to the church, I'm going to drop her off, and she's going to go on her way, and we get out, and we're saying goodbye, and I was like, that is it, and I grabbed her, and I swooped in, this was her first kiss, and I was like, and I was coming at her, I might have been aggressive, I don't know, but she does this, she goes, mm. <laughs> our first kiss, and she goes, mm. <laughs> if, if we think about it, if we were to be honest, we would look at our engagement and our dating as a really exciting chapter to a fairly dull book. And the reason why I say that is when we're dating and when we're courting and when there's engagement, there's passion and excitement and mystery and what's next. And then we get married and all of a sudden life takes over and there's work and jobs and kids and careers and business and this and that. And we find that intimacy with our spouse goes away or with Jesus Christ, our personal relationship there. But why is romance such a struggle? And why is it such a big deal? I overheard a gentleman tell me one time, this was 10 years ago, and it stuck in my brain. He said, when I was single, all I wanted to do was get married. Now that I'm married, I just want to go to heaven. <laughs> so, so God never intended for us to just survive marriage. That wasn't his intention. We grew up on, on, I, I, on East Orchard Mesa. We lived there probably, what, 10 years? And down the road from us was this big, beautiful white barn. And right on the side of this big, beautiful white barn, this guy had wrote and written, painted, with a three-inch paintbrush and black paint, danger, vicious wife, right on the side of his barn. And it stayed there the entire time we were there. Why is marriage such a struggle at times? And we all know that marriage can be really tough. Relationships are tough. Life is tough. Ephesians 5.25-29 through 29 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle and any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, because women strengthen men. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it emotionally, physically, 
romantically, spiritually, just as Christ does the church. Now, we all know that Jesus literally gave himself for the church. And in the same way, we're supposed to do the same thing with our spouses, to give ourselves for them completely and utterly. Now, it's not a debate that a man's romance language and a woman's romance language are two completely different things. But one of the things that we see, a common theme, especially in counseling, is men feeling unrespected or unsatisfied and, hus- and, and wives feeling unloved and forgotten, unimportant, uncherished. And why do we see such a toll on marriage, especially in Christian homes? I think one of the big reasons is we let romance slip away. God's desire is for all of our relationships to flourish. And for those of us who are married, his dream is for us to finish the journey together, happily, fruitfully, and in one piece. And so I ask myself this question, how come I don't fight for my wife's attention the way I used to? Because I entered into a, a marriage covenant with Sarah and God that I would feed for her and take care of her and do everything I could for her. And I forget that all the time, every single day. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, love your wives, or God will not answer your prayers. And there's a few places in the Bible where God says, If you do this, I'll do this. If you tithe, I will give back to you and make you responsible over more. If you don't love your wives the way I love the church, I can't answer your prayers. It's a big deal. There are three things in my life that I have to get right. Number one is God. I have to get that right as much as I can. Number two is my wife. And number three is my kids. After that, all the other stuff is is last. It doesn't matter. So here's what the Bible tells us about romance. We're going to go in Revelation. Revelation 2, 3 3 through 6. And and it's kind of an odd place to look at at romance because it's kind of an end of the world, gloom and doomy kind of book sometimes. But we're going to take a look at it because there's a, little, there's a little snippet in here. John is writing to the church of Ephesus. Starting in verse 3, he says, You have preserved and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Not the people, the practices. And the Nicolaitans were a group of Christians who were willing to compromise their biblical values in order to enjoy some of the sinful desires of society. And how many marriages have that same thing? How many, how many people with just their relationship with Christ have that we're willing to compromise a little bit to enjoy a little bit over here. And that never leads to a fruitful relationship with Christ, with our spouse, or with the people that God has put in our lives around us. So, here we go. He says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So here's a little formula that that, that we kind of came up with. Remember, repent, and return. For rediscovering love in the relationships in your life. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Thinking about your spouse. Do you remember waiting outside of his or her work? Just can't wait to see him. Waiting for them to, to, to get out of school or, or, or be done for the day so that you could hang out. Do you remember spending way too much time in front of the mirror? 
making sure you look just right. Way too much time. Do you remember fumbling your words and being nervous when you first met their family or even had the guts to talk to her or him? Do you remember those goofy little things that are so exciting that we forget about? Do you remember uh, your wedding? Do you remember your honeymoon? Do you remember planning it? Do you remember your first meal together? Do you remember your first fight? I remember mine. It was over a bottle of shampoo in the grocery store. Two bucks. And we're fighting over aroma essence. It was great. Do you remember your first fight? I remember the first time I saw Sarah, I wasn't able to speak to her for a month. I was like, wow, girl. I remember sitting and praying with her one time in, our, in, in her backyard. We literally, we sat there in the grass and we prayed that our relationship would honor Christ and that it would honor each other. And I can tell you, there's a lot of times it hasn't. I remember the day I asked her to marry me. I did it on her birthday so that I would remember what day I asked her to marry me because I, I would forget. So it was very strategic. That and I just spent like 700 bucks on a ring. I didn't want to buy more stuff. So that was her present. I remember our first house together. It was built in 1918. I bought it for $40,000. My dad helped me out. And uh, we had millions of cockroaches. They, they were our very first pets. But then I remember we went and picked out our first pets. We, we got um, uh, huskies from the, the kennel. We adopted a couple of huskies. And then I remember, and, and think of these memories in, in your own marriage. I remember when Sarah called me up at the church one day, and she, she was crying, and she said, um, it was the middle of the day, and she said, somebody killed our dog. And I'm like, I'll be right there. And I remember driving home, and she's sitting on the porch, and she's crying. And I sat down next to her, and we just, we cried together because somebody killed our dogs. And uh, it's, it's a memory. I remember when we lost a baby. Um, but then I also remember when we, we had all three of our girls. How proud I was of Sarah. It was the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. All three of them. It was amazing. And I was so proud of Sarah for what she did. Because was, that was not an easy thing to do. And I remember going, wow, I want to do that again. And she was like, not today, dude. <laughs> but do you remember those things? The really, really, really hard things? And the really, really, really great things? Whether it's good or bad, a shared history bonds you together. And when you remember it, it re-stirs love in your life. That's why Jesus said that to the church of Ephesus. Malachi 2.15 says, You were united to your wife by the Lord. In God's wise plan, when you married, the two of you became one person in His sight. And what does He want? Godly children from their union. Therefore, guard your passions. Keep faith with the wife of your youth. Remembering your history protects and it fuels your love. Um, here's one of the things that I really appreciate about Sarah. As any person here who's, who's married or has been married or will be married, it's for everybody. My wife knows my dirt. She knows my great mistakes, my great weaknesses. She knows my fears. She knows what I'm probably prone to do. And yet she still chooses to love me. And that makes me want to love her even more. So, here's the next one. We were told that the church in Ephesus was, was told to repent. Repent your own stuff. And in marriage it is so easy to get focused on the other person. 
They need to dot, dot, dot. But we're told in 1 Corinthians, love does not keep a record of a wrong suffered. It keeps no record. And if our marriage is a rescue mission for our, our spouse and not about admitting our own stuff, we will become very weary and very frustrated and very alone. One of the things that I love about the choir, which we didn't have today, and one of the things I love about the worship team is when those guys are up here and those gals, they're becoming very vulnerable in front of a bunch of people. They're, they're, they're doing something tough. And so I look at those people. I look at the people in the choir. I look at the people here and I go, they got guts. Those are real people right there. And in our marriage, we've got to have the same thing. But I got to tell you, for me, that's the hardest thing in the world to go to Sarah and go, hey, I messed up. Hey, will you forgive me for? That is not easy. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, All of you close yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Growing marriages are made of two growing people and nothing helps that more than shining a spotlight on your own stuff. You know, and since we're talking about that, how often do you find yourself praying over your marriage? Together. How often are you asking for God to protect your marriage? To watch over it? For it to not just survive, we're not supposed to just survive marriage. It's supposed to be this fruitful, growing thing that affects all the people around us. How often are we praying for God to do that in our marriage? Because we live in a society today where there's some goofy ideas about what marriage is. And it's really easy for those ideas to affect us. And instead of Christian marriages being an example, we see them falling apart. Pray over your marriage. And then repenting to your spouse means being willing to be vulnerable before them. But this happens a lot, and I've actually watched it happen. If your spouse becomes vulnerable before you, you can't play that down. You can't blow it off. You can't ignore it. Because if you ignore it when they're vulnerable before you, and this is any one of your relationships, they'll wall off to you if you blow that off. You've got you to gotta take action right then. Okay, this is my most favorite one. We were told to remember the height from which we, were, we have fallen. Remember our history. Repent. Repent our own stuff. And then Jesus said, turn to me. And so I say, return to the basics. Okay? There's a few habits that we lose along the way. Um, one is romantic creativity. That's the opposite of being boring. Jesus actually wants us to have an exciting relationship with our spouse and it's basic when you live with the same person for a long time you kind of get stuck in a rut familiarity breeds complacency isn't it odd that familiarity can become an enemy proverbs eighteen fifteen says intelligent people are always open to new ideas in fact they look for them now if we were to be honest most of us guys in here would admit that we're not very good at romance and most of the gals in here would admit that we're not very good at romance so this is for some of the guys here, um, right out of Song of Solomon, a little help, some romance lines from the book of romance, Song of Solomon 4, 1 through 5, <clears throat> how beautiful you are, my beloved, how beautiful, your eyes behind your veil are like doves, 
Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats frisking down the slopes of Gilead. <laughs> bah! And she's just swooning in to these words like, it gets better. Your teeth are as white as sheep, newly shorn and washed. They are perfectly matched. Not one is missing. <laughs> Anybody from Kentucky is like, ah, that's a good line right there, I tell you what. <laughs> your lips are like a ribbon of scarlet. Oh, how beautiful your mouth. Your cheeks behind your veil are like pomegranate halves, lovely and delicious. Your neck is as stately as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Your breasts are like twin fawns of a gazelle feeding among the lilies. Now, before you run out and smoke a cigarette after that, <laughs> look at this. Most of us are not going to talk like that. And that's part of the problem. We lose our romantic creativity over time because it becomes work. It becomes something. But listen, your spouse, the people in your life, they want to know that they're cherished. So be willing to get a little creative. Every now and then, and I'm terrible about this, but every now and then I've got a good one. Sarah came home from, from college one day, and I, I, she walked into the house, and I had a little, like, maitre d' table set up, and there was, like, flowers and a menu. And I was there like, like a, a waiter or something, like a host. And I'm like, good evening, ma'am. And we had a little menu that I made up. She could pick different things. It was called El Scubo Cafe. Our dog's name Scooby. He was on the menu. And he wasn't on the menu he was on the cover of the menu. We weren't going <laughs> to, how do you like your Italian Greyhound? <laughs> Roast. So, it, you know, and so it was kind of, you know, it was just a quirky, dumb little thing, but she really liked it. There's simple things we can do. Stuff a note in a pant pocket. I love that when I'll open up my, my suitcase or something because I have to go on a trip. That stinker stuck a little note in there, and I'm like, oh, man. And so then I'm thinking about my spouse and not what I'm supposed to be doing. But I love that. Stop by work with lunch, a phone call in the middle of the day, a simple flower or a wink across the room. One time, and if I was a kid, I would have gotten in trouble for this, but since I paid for the toilet paper, it was okay. I took a whole roll of toilet paper and I wrote on each sheet a word. Good morning, dear. So, so when she got up, and there was a whole note written on the toilet paper. Wasted the whole roll, little flowers and that was a long time ago. I don't do that stuff anymore. But I should. Grab your guy's arm, you know. Give it a little squeeze. Tell him his muscle's big. Even if it's not, just tell him. He'll be like, ugh. How about this one, guys? Flirt with your girl. I don't care how old she is. Flirt with her. I love watching my grandfather and my granny Nina flirt with each other. I loved that. It made me feel so good. But here's what it also did is it made me go, that's what love and marriage is supposed to be like. It doesn't grow old. It gets better with age. Here's the thing that's really important about that. Your kids need to see that you're affectionate towards each other. And I don't care how old you are and how old your kids are. Because even to this day, when things aren't right with my parents' relationship, it affects me. And it affects my grand or my kids, or my grandkids, <sighs> not yet. Okay, 
They know when things are not okay in the home, and it affects them. Also, this world is full of ideas of what love is. And they're so far out there. They're destroying the moral fiber of Christian homes and marriages. These ideals that are out there are, 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 are teaching our kids what love is that, that is not love, and it's wrong, and it's destructive. And so, if, par- if parents aren't modeling to their kids what real love is, they're going to get their ideas somewhere else. And they're not going to be the right ideas. So, we can't let our kids down. No matter how old we are, we've got to show them what love is. That's our job. And it never ends. It never, never, never ends. I still have, and, and I, even, I even took a picture of it because I was like, wow. I remember being at a wedding one time, and my stepmom grabs my dad's arm and pulls him out on the dance floor, and I was like, wow. And I remember my grandparents smooching on each other. And I didn't take a picture, but I took a picture right here. And I hold on to that, and I go, I've got to run the race to the end with my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and with my spouse. And I hold on to those little things that my parents and grandparents have modeled to me to get me to the end. Here's the next one besides romantic creativity. Talking. Do you remember how much you would talk when you first started out? The conversations that you would have? I am not a talker and I look back and I remember talking for hours with Sarah. We would have these vulnerable, honest conversations our fears, our, our dreams. Oh, what things will be like. A lot of them never came true, but we still dreamed the dreams and we talked about it. Goals, hopes. I wanted to, to know what, what Sarah was thinking. I wanted to know what Jesus was doing in her life. I wanted to know what God had going on in here. And then we get stuck in a rut of not talking to each other because we get busy. Stuff comes up. We get upset. And we start losing vulnerable, real conversations with our spouse. Did you know that most sexual affairs begin with just talking? It's not hormones getting out of control. It's because someone's being heard. Proverbs 25. One of my most favorite verses. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. And a person of understanding draws them out. The purposes of a man's heart are are deep waters of a woman's heart are deep waters ecclesiastes says god has written eternity in the human heart deep waters and a spouse of understanding draws them out a spouse of understanding draws them out there is this thing that god has written in the core of every single person and a person of understanding draws them out Intimacy develops when you talk. So carve out some time and talk. After my sermon today, I'm going to be asking my wife, hey, you want to go talk about stuff? Because I have to now. Because <laughs> I said it from the pulpit. Next one. Um, things that we forget about. Inner character. What was it that first drew you to them? Was it her eyes? His biceps? Try as we might, we can't keep muscles from sagging and wrinkles from appearing. 
In fact, a wise woman once said, every woman should marry an archaeologist because the older she gets, the more interested in her she'll be. But if my marriage is to last, it cannot solely rely on physical love, but on why I fell in love with Sarah in the first place. I fell in love with Sarah's standards. She had standards. That was like a challenge for me. Like, I got to rise up to those standards. I fell in love with her love and her honesty. I fell in love with her courage, her sense of humor. This is silly. You can't make fun of me. I'm being vulnerable in front of you. I fell in love with her poise. Something about, and that's a lost art. Women don't have that poise like they used to. And I don't know if if it's because we failed to model it, but walking with dignity and self-respect and knowing that they're absolutely beautiful regardless of what society says. And that is the truth. Okay? And we have so many women who are getting ripped off because they're listening to the world and they're not listening to what God says, to what the Bible says. And I'm sorry for that, ladies. But anyways, I fell in love with her poise. I fell in love with that. I fell in love with Sarah's desire to be a mom. I I wanted to marry a gal that wanted to be a mom. I fell in love with those things. And she was pretty good looking too. Still is. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 says your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Have you ever watched a young, a youngster, a kiddo, look at an older couple and just kind of ponder? Like, how can that old gal be, be attracted to that old guy? He's got hair coming out of his ears. Gross. How, how can that old gal be attracted, or that old guy be attracted to that old gal? She's got more wrinkles than a water slide. Do you know why? Because they're more mature than you. They're mature. The relationship is based off of inner character from the very beginning, not on physical appearance, but on who they are at their core from the very beginning. So, we have to return to the basics of our first attraction to character. Our last one is this, and we'll be done. Our spiritual connection with our spouse. And maybe it's not our spouse. Maybe it's our coworkers. Maybe it's the people that God has put in our life. When Jesus said you've forgotten your first love, he was saying you have neglected your first importance. The great commandment says love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. He says you have forgotten your first love. Proverbs 19.22 says what a person desires is unfailing love. And I was just reading about that this morning. Unfailing love can only come from one place, and that's God. We as people cannot give unfailing love. David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And here's where a lot of marriages get in trouble. We expect a fallible, imperfect person to give us unfailing love. And that is a mindset for marital failure. You cannot expect your spouse to give you unfailing love. It comes from one place, and that's from Jesus Christ. 
Brennan Manning said, if we want to truly love, we must return again and again to the great love of the great lover. The romance of the Father sweetens your story. If you want real romance and real love in your relationship with your spouse, it starts with God. That's how he created it. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. I'm going to share a little story with you and we'll wrap up. Um, uh, as I said, Sarah had never kissed a boy until she kind of away from me and kissed me. Um, I was a little different in high school. I was a bit of a, mm, wasn't as good as I should have been. And I always knew uh, because I, I had recommitted my life to Christ and I'd come back around and I was, got really involved in church again. But I always knew that this, my past was probably going to come up at some point with Sarah and I and I knew it was probably going to really affect how she thought of me. But I knew I couldn't lie to her. We'd been courting for quite a while and um, she was leaving. We were sitting out um, looking at the stars one night and uh, she's getting ready to leave and she goes, hey, before I leave, I've got a question for you. I'm like, okay, yeah, shoot. She goes, I know you've got a past and I was wondering if you had ever, well, you know, and as soon as she started saying it, I, it's like the whole world stopped because it was like, oh no. What I'm about to say is probably going to end our relationship. And it, you get to know that time stopping still kind of feeling. Um, but I knew I couldn't lie to her, and so I just said, Sarah, th there was one time, and of course I, you know, was full of remorse, and she didn't skip a beat. She looked at me with this unbelievable smile, and she said, that's not who I see. I see who you are in Christ today. She didn't skip a beat. She offered unfailing love because it was at the core of who she was. And I was blown away. And that's the way we're supposed to be with our spouses, that we can, at every single time, offer them unfailing love. It doesn't matter how young we are or how old. It's what we're commanded, commanded to do, and we have to do it. So remember, repent and return. And I got to say this, and it's not as a pastor, it's as a fallible imperfect person when our relationship is right with christ it makes our story with our spouse sweet let's pray heavenly father we thank you so much for your creation and intentions of marriage and lord we pray over every marriage that's in this room whether it's broken or not whether it's new or old, whether it's even begun yet. And we would ask, Lord, for a rediscovery of love, for a protection over it, and a blessing. And Lord, that out of this room, examples would go forth of what real love is. And that our young people that are raising up underneath us would go forth with the true mindset of unfailing love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We're going to stand and sing this hymn, which I forgot. <laughs> this is my father's world.
we're going to go ahead and form our circle really quick and go over some prayer requests before we dismiss out of here. Joy. 